morning, Bethel. Good to see all of you here this first Sunday in December as we uh, continue on our series, Walking Through the, the Life of Christ. In this first part of our series, The, the Promise, as we uh, look through the, the, li- the birth of our Lord and Savior, the events leading up to that. You know, I think there are, you know, there is a phobia for everything in life now, and people like to uh, identify with these different phobias, and maybe some of these speak to you. You know, we have a dentophobia, fear of dentists. How many of you guys like going to the dentist, or you fear the dentist? Yeah, a few of you have had some bad experiences at the dentist. Ergophobia, I think my kids have this fear every now and then. Fear of work, well. Pogophobia, fear of ice or frosts. Maybe you live in Florida because you have that fear. You don't want to deal with the ice and frost. Pyrophobia, that's an easy one. Fear of fire, yep. Macrophobia, fear of long waits. If you uh, have that fear, you would not be at the theme parks during this time of the year. Theatrophobia, fear of theaters. Yeah, some different ones there. People are afraid or fear a lot of things, and those fears or doubts impact what we believe about God and how he can intervene in our lives. And so as we walk through this passage today, we're going to see someone who expressed that doubt, and we're going to see how God can speak to your fears in your life. So we're going to read here as in Luke. Last week we kind of highlighted how we have four Gospels, and only two of those Gospels actually tell us about the Christmas story about Christ's birth. The other two, um, those two that that do are Matthew and Luke, Mark and John, start with the ministry of John the Baptist. And so Luke is going to actually connect the dots for us this morning to the Christmas story to John the Baptist. So let's start reading here this morning, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. This couple in the midst of their faithfulness to God, lived every day, every night, facing the reality that they were barren and now old. In this culture, being childless was socially and economically disastrous. Economically, because children often took care of their parents in old age. There was no social security system. There was no 401k in those days, so it was the job of the children to financially take care of their parents when they could no longer work and provide for the home. Socially, it was also very bad because barrenness was often viewed as a result of sin, especially when it was the defect of the wife. Therefore, men were often counseled to divorce in order to avoid unceasing social disgrace so divorce and remarriage could possibly propel them into a healthier financial decision and social position in the community you know as i reflect on these two things i I think some of these kind of reflect on 
us as we face some of these same challenges. Maybe you have been faithful, but it seems like disappointment meets you around every corner in life. Whether that is personally, financially, physically, or socially. Personally, we are disappointed that we are, maybe you are, are not married yet. Maybe you're single. And others, you're disappointed in your marriage. Some of you are disappointed in your inability to have children, while others of you are disappointed in how your children turned out. Financially, we're disappointed with how long it's taking to break through in our current career path. And others are disappointed that this dream job has not met up to your expectations. Physically, we're disappointed in how our health is failing, or we're disappointed in how we slowly see the health failing in the lives of our loved ones. It's easy to let our circumstances or our disappointments in life to slowly eat away at the fabric of our faith. It makes us question our faith instead of trusting and believing that our Heavenly Father, still in the midst of this world, He has your best interest in mind and that He is in control. So what do we learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth? What do we learn from them? We learn, never let your fears redefine your faith. We should celebrate this couple because despite their cycle of disappointment, they continue to trust and obey God. How do we know? How do we know they did this? They didn't get a divorce. That would have been an easy out for Zechariah. He was man enough to love his wife and deal with any social ramification and financial repercussion that followed. They didn't commit adultery. They honored their vows to one another for better or for worse in sickness and in health. And they did not become bitter toward God. Remember, Zechariah was a priest, so he often prayed for people and believed God for people, even though he seemed to be overlooked personally. Could you imagine praying for people and watching their prayers come to fruition, but yours haven't been answered? That is what Zechariah experienced for years and decades of his life. But through their faith, we see that it was, their faith was admirable. They were still missing something, something that was important to them. So let's keep reading here. Now let's skip down to verse 11. And Zechariah is, is going about his priestly duties, and it says, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Verses 14 through 17, which we won't read this morning, go on to explain how they're going to give birth to a son who will bring great joy and will be a great prophet, lead the nation in repentance, and prepare the way for an even greater child, Jesus, the Messiah. See, God's answer was better than 
anything they could have hoped for. God's answer was better than anything they could have asked. That's always how it is with God. You may be sitting there wondering this morning, why hasn't God come through? But it's not because he hasn't heard you. It's because he has a greater plan than your limited perspective could ever hope for. But because we are indeed limited in our thinking, how his past disappointment tag teams with his fear, it creates an unbelief or a doubt in our lives. Let's read verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. <laughs> you got an angel standing before you, Zechariah. I mean, how many of us, when we're praying for something, if we had an angel appear before us, would question it? Zechariah's doubt actually said, I'm too old, and my wifey over here, she's more advanced than me. It's a good thing he's in the temple talking to an angel because Elizabeth may have had a few choice words for her husband that day. No man in his right mind uses the word old and wife in the same sentence. And especially when there's the chance that it's going to be written down in Scripture for all of eternity. There's no denying it. Elizabeth essentially describes his wife as the old chick. This is how often we react to God's promises too. There are over 3,000 promises in God's word. Whenever the Holy Spirit whispers one in your heart, the enemy whispers back with doubt and fear. There are two types of responses toward God's promises. One that is grounded in faith and one in hopelessness and bitterness. There are responses that come from faith. A response of, God, you confuse me, you frustrate me, but I know that you are real and that you have my best interest at heart even though I can't feel it. These were the the type of authentic prayers we see all throughout the Psalms when David is pouring out his heart in the writing of the Psalms. On the flip side, there are responses that come from hopelessness and bitterness. You doubt God's character, his love, and even sometimes his existence. In the first, you are looking at God with confusion, even with anger. But in the second, you're only looking at your own self-pity. Zechariah is basically telling this messenger from God in self-pity and bitterness, I don't believe you. Why now when it's too late? How can I trust you? This sounds too good to be true. After his little pity party, in the temple before God's messenger, the angel speaks. And I love Gabriel's response. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, 
and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news, Gabriel said. (laughs) How do you know this to be true? Because before I came to you, I was in the presence of God. That's how I know it to be true. You must know about me, Zachariah. You're You're a priest. You're a man of the word. My name is in Daniel chapter 8 and 9. You know who I am. I don't text God. I don't follow him on Instagram. I stand in his very presence and I bring you this news. It was understandable for Zachariah to be afraid when the angel showed up. That's completely understandable for something like that to take place. We see even when he shows up to Mary, he says what? Do not be afraid because the angel knows that when something supernatural like an angel shows up, it's natural human to be afraid. You know, we might look at that and say, man, I would be terrified. Yeah, because we're human. But there's a difference here. He showed his fear in not the presence, but in the message that he delivered. So the angel says, since you have doubts, since you are afraid, we're going to help you believe. Verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak. Kind of the the first God-ordained time out. Until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. You know, the, notice that last part of that. He remained until his time of service had ended. You see, the priests would come to Jerusalem from all over Israel, and they would serve for a specific time in the temple. And there was a rotation of those priests all throughout the year. And this was Jack, or Zachariah's rotation. And so he immediately realized that he was disciplined by God for his self-pity and bitter comments. So he persevered by continuing his priestly duties until they were completed, despite his new disability of being unable to speak. And then in verse 24 and 25, after Zechariah returns home, this couple finds out, that they are pregnant and they are grateful that these things were true. Nevertheless, Zechariah is still disciplined for nine months of his skepticism. He cannot speak. Verse 62, he says that people made signs back to communicate with him. Doesn't this consequence for unbelief, doesn't it seem a little harsh? for what the Bible describes as a righteous man. Others in the past, like Abraham and Gideon, requested signs in the state of their unbelief, but they didn't suffer these type of consequences. Why such 
severity for Zechariah. He is being disciplined for responding to God's promises with hopelessness and somewhat questioning God. See, Zechariah followed all the rules, but he had no joy in the promises of God. Think about that for a moment. Instead of rejoicing and celebrating in the temple for his prayers being answered, how did his heart respond? With doubt. So God had to shut him up, literally shut him up. Why? To bring him back. To love him. To heal him. He is working out your salvation in ways that sometimes feel foreign to us, but you must believe that our loving Father is loving us back to his presence. Discipline is not God trying to pay you back. It's God trying to bring you back into a right relationship with him. While it may feel like punishment, here's what we know. God has already punished his son upon the cross in order to reconcile us back to himself. There is no condemnation or punishment, scripture says, left for us because it was already all poured out on Christ. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, it says in Romans. God has poured out his wrath on his perfect, blameless, sinless son, and not us. We indeed have the enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy would love for you to question God's word, his promises, and not consider the consequences of our sin and remain uncertain about how much God loves us. And as believers, we are not punished for our sin, but we do feel discipline through the consequences of our sin. Remember, his intentions are your healing, not your destruction. Let's jump down to to verse 62. Elizabeth gives birth to John, and everyone is excited. And when they heard the child was not given a family name, such as Zechariah or Obadiah or Hezekiah, they turned to Zechariah to see what he would sign or say. In verse 62, And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loose, and he spoke, blessing God. You can learn a lot about God when your mouth is shut for nine months. What has God been teaching you these last nine months. How has your heart softened enough to receive his word? The greatest lesson that Zachariah learned was to stop gazing upon himself and to focus on the promises of God. The greatest lesson we can learn is to look to God. When we are in bewilderment and confusion, about the things happening around us in life, 
we look to God. When we are experiencing failed relationships and people who have hurt us, we look to God. When your job is in a fickle situation and you're worried about how you're going to pay the bills, we look to God. When you have unfulfilled dreams and life is not going as what you thought it would go, we look to God. Get your eyes off yourself in self-pity and onto the faith and hope that only God can provide. See, God took being slow to speak and quick to listen to new levels with our brother Zachariah. His eyes were the only function that he had to be able to communicate. He quietly watched the love of his wife Elizabeth, despite her old body, overcome her barrenness day by day for nine months. In fact, he was so amped up after the birth of John, he pulled out his notebook and began writing a song in verse 67 and 68. Let's see how this song goes in verse 68. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This was the answer for the nation. Our deliverer, the horn of salvation, Jesus, he went on to further speak of Jesus more than he prophesied about his son, John. This teaches us something, and write this down. Let your faith conquer your fears. Some of you may say, Pastor Robert Zechariah got exactly what he was praying for. Yes, he 100% did, he, but he was disciplined because of his unbelief, he, and he persevered. But you might say, I'm still over here with unanswered prayer, and I'm drowning in disappointment. How can this story of Zechariah and John help me? If you read this song closely that we just had up there in verse 68 and 69, you'll notice that Zechariah's joy is emphatically grounded first in who? Go ahead and put it back up there, Callie, verse 68. Who is his joy founded in? It's founded in Christ. Grounded first in Christ, the birth of Jesus, then his own child, John. Why? Because Jesus is the only hope for salvation. He is the only hope for his people. The first few words that come out of his mouth after nine months of silence points the listeners to his Messiah. The best gift that he gives is the one that takes away our sadness and despair and fills us with real joy, real security. It's not in the temporal things of this world, this world but the best gift 
that Zechariah points us to this Christmas season is God himself. He is not just about giving you wife and husband, kids, cars, career. He wants to give you the best, which is himself. He is better than anything else life can give. That death cannot take away. If God chooses to shut you up for nine months in silence to birth a love for Jesus, the greatest gift in you, trust me, you'll say that it is worth it. There are plenty of you that God took through a terrible time for longer than nine months to discipline you, to bring you back to Jesus. And you look at that and you say, it was so worth it because the relationship that I have now with my Savior. The greatest birth in this passage is not John. It was the birth of faith that would come through Jesus. Did you notice, by the way, that his time of silence was nine months? Out of your pain and despair, God is birthing a love and trust in the Messiah, the greatest gift that he could ever give you. Don't let fear and doubt create disillusionment about the presence of God in your life. One thing that I didn't mention earlier, and that's what Zachariah's name means. It means God remembers. God remembers. Bethel, God remembers. He has not forgotten about you or your prayers. He has not forgotten about any of his promises toward you. So do not stop believing He has not forgotten you. Do not stop crying out to him. Do not give in to this world and all of its disappointments. Do not stop praying. Do not be overcome with fear and doubt. Because the promises of God are true. Remember that today. Remember that this week when you're struggling to get out of bed, when you're struggling to get through life. God remembers you and his promises are true. Let's pray.